John, you know what that sound is? We what have theme music. Yeah. <laughs> we have theme music, folks. And my biggest issue with it so much is that I like it so much, and it psychs me up so much that I can't talk myself into cutting it off. And here I am with this music that I can't <laughs> cut off. So I will, I will end it so we can have the podcast. But let me just Ooh. say, welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike. And with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, that was really fun for me. How was that for you? That was awesome, man. Yeah, I'm really pumped for this. It sounds great. You know, like we're sounding more and more like a real pro pro pod, dude. It's we're great. like we we're like we're grow we're Pinocchio. We've turned into real boys. <laughs> exactly. This is great, man. Honestly, awesome. Love it. Well, we are here to talk about a giant week seven of Big Ten football. John, anything you wanted to announce or say before we jump into it? No, no, I don't think there's anything major uh, as far as like outside news, outside of like stuff that happened during the games um, in Big Ten, in the Big Ten country today or this weekend. So I think we should just might as well just start hitting these games, dude. Yeah, we'll get into it. And hey, we realized that there were some major injuries in these games. Yeah. So it's one game in particular. Um, and so we will talk about those injuries in that game. We're not going to just don't think we just forgot that. We will talk about them and how important they are and, and how bad we feel because injuries are the worst thing in this sport. And I hate it anytime. I wish we could get through a whole season and nobody on any team would get injured. And we could yeah. really find out who the best teams were. You yeah. know what I mean? And it yeah, sucks. Man. that it's we awful, have, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Hmm. All right. Should we jump into these games? Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Our first game that we had here in week seven was the five and two Rutgers Scarlet Knights. 27. The Michigan State Spartans 24. Total yards. Rutgers had 295 to Michigan State's 245. Both teams struggled a lot offensively in this game. They pass, both passed the ball okay, but neither team ran the ball particularly well. Uh, Sparty had 2.7 yards per rush, while Rutgers had 6.5 yards per rush. Uh, both teams struggled on third down, going just 4 for 12. However, Rutgers was 2 of 2 on fourth down, while Sparty was 2 of 3. So both teams got it done on fourth down, for the most part, um, even though they couldn't get the job done on third down. Uh, each team had three first half turnovers. It was some really ugly football in the first half of this game in particular. You know, it got a little more aesthetically pleasing as the game went on, I thought. Um, so both these teams just could not stop getting in their own way. The biggest difference offensively is that Caden Hauser was efficient, but not explosive at all in the passing game, averaging just 4.6 yards per attempt. By contrast, Gavin Wimsat threw two picks, but he averaged 6.5 yards per attempt. That's not great, but it's it's more average-ish, and it's far better than what uh, Sparty was able to do, you know, on a rainy day in Piscataway. Uh, Kyle Manungai was the star of the show for Rutgers once again, especially in the latter stages of the second half. He had 148 yards rushing on an impressive 6.2 yards per rush and a touchdown. By contrast, for Sparty, Nathan Carter managed just 52 yards and 20 carries for an average of just 2.6 yards per rush. Jalen Berger did a little better on his carries, but Carter's the bell cow, and he had, you know, he had a rough night. 
Uh, Hauser spread the ball around to a bunch of different receivers while Wimsap benefited from a strong game from Christian Dremel with six grabs for 80 yards, including an important 29-yard completion. Uh, Flip Dixon had another strong day for the defense with six solo tackles and several plays in coverage. Dude was all over the place. Um, Desmond Igbenosen had also had four tackles for loss, so let's not forget him. Uh, Rutgers was down 18 points in the fourth quarter of this game, somehow came back to win. So that's the first thing for me. I didn't think Rutgers was the kind of team that could erase double digits and still win a game. I thought their offense relied too much on having a positive game script to withstand such a deficit. So this is a really impressive win uh, for Rutgers, John. And on the other side, Michigan State once again played pretty good ball, but they imploded late, which nullified an otherwise strong effort. Um, John, what did you think about this game? Well, I was really impressed with Rutgers. I mean, I I had this team going bowling, going six and six uh, this year, but now, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they go seven and five. Um, things are changing quickly, and they're improving a lot. Um, yeah, I think it was interesting. The this stat that I found with Rutgers is that they're five. And, this is the first time they've been five and zero oh since two thousand six, and this is the biggest comeback win since two thousand fifteen. So, I mean, this team is getting better. Um, I think you know Wimsett actually looked like he had a little zip on the ball during this game. He looked he looked more accurate. I know he didn't look great all the time, but he looked better. He continues to improve. Um, and you know, the O-line looks fantastic. I you know, I know there were some issues on both sides of the on uh, with both teams, you know, with a lot of drop passes and tipped, you know, due to the rain and stuff like that. It was a, it was a just downpour all day so yeah it was ugly it was was ugly ugly, and it was tough and it's and it's funny like because you and i were talking about this too about how you know halfway through the game which understandably especially with that kind of weather like the fan fan base just like disappeared you know after being down as much as they were they were Um, out it sucked that there was nobody left at that game there was nobody there and they missed an amazing comeback amazing comeback amazing game and you know what for the fans who did stay good for them yeah because you get you get herd mentality in crowds and like yeah. for the fans who stuck it out, they really got their money's worth if they were cheering for the home team. Yeah, there was so many turnovers in this game, though, man. I mean, at one point, I mean, I, I have to believe six in have... the first half. Yeah, six. <laughs> I mean, that was abs- it was really sloppy play. And the weather oh, yeah. is a big part of that. But, you know, I, I think it's just it's really tough to play in conditions like that. And you kind of don't realize it when if it's that wet and the ball you're trying to, you know, you're trying to put get your hands on it and secure it and do mm-hmm. ball security. But it's, it's when it's waterlogged and it's like, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It was, it was tough to see, you know, with both sides, with both teams, but like those DBs were catching more balls than those wide receivers for sure. For at least for a while. Um, but man, defensively, like, I mean, longer beam w- looked incredible uh, for, um, I mean, he's somebody else that I was watching and he was, he was making some great plays on the ball but, you know, what I'm looking at um, with Michigan State, because uh, I was I know we, we were texting and I was kind of curious, like, OK, like what's going on with the quarterback? Is there a quarterback controversy? I do think there is. But I did see that Kim Noah Kim traveled with the team and he was in uniform, uh, but he didn't go through the first or second team reps with the offense during during the pregame warmups. So maybe he's a little dinged up as well. I think um, he got Wally pipped then if he is. Yeah, I agree. I uh, so 
Yeah, man. I mean, really what lost, what lost this game for Michigan state, you know, overall was turnovers and, and it was just that O line continuing to have issues. And, you know, Carter looked pretty good at the beginning, but you know, he fell off pretty quickly and it just seemed to Sparty just couldn't get out of their own way again, as we've seen on a couple occasions this season so far. And Rutgers absolutely capitalized. I mean, they made two big plays on special teams and had two scores in a nine second span to get the win and ensure the best Rutgers start to a season since 2014. So yeah. kudos to the Scarlet Knights. Um, after Rutgers was dominated for three quarters, they all right, get ready for this, John. They outgained Michigan State 120 yards to negative 20 yards in the fourth wow. quarter. Wow. 120 to negative 20. So they got over 100, you know, 120 yards in a quarter, which is very solid. And then Sparty double digit negative yards. So that's that's really incredible to play as that well. And it's and on for Sparty, that's about as like bad of a meltdown as you can have. Yeah, that's offense, defense, special teams. Um, the comeback started when Rutgers recovered a fumble in the end zone after Sparty punter Michael O'Shaughnessy was unable to handle a snap. So that's that's a really fluky score right there. And then the key moment of this game came when after scoring a touchdown and getting the two point conversion, Rutgers tried a risky sky kick, which confused the hell out of Sparty somehow and was not fielded by them cleanly. The returner thought he was returning a punt or something because mm-hmm. he didn't. It must not have clicked into his brain that, hey, that ball is live, even though they tell you that the number one rule of being a kick returner, being on kick return team is the ball is live. And he tried to play it off the bounce which let a Rutgers player come crashing in and beat him to the ball. So that was one of the, those two egregious special teams mistakes, uh, along with that fumbled snap. And then Kyle Manungai scored on the very next play. So you got to catch a kick on the fly. It's a live ball. <laughs> I just, I don't understand the mistakes that Sparty's making. Uh-huh. Like these are not, these are, these are the kind of mistakes that if they happened on your, on your, on your kids, middle school, uh, well, John and I don't have kids, but let's say, you know, hypothetically, if you have kids on their middle school team and you're watching that game and, oh, Billy forgot, Billy yeah. forgot to field the ball, you know, that <laughs> stinks. He should know that we talked about that at practice and, and before the game, you mm-hmm. know, but this is major college football. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, man, it just really seems like they're that team is distracted, you know, because they do look good at times and it looks like they're going to actually pull away with a win. I had them. I had them winning this game because I thought, oh, you did. They're fine. And I texted you and I said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I texted you. I texted you and I said, I said, Sparty's going to win this game. Yeah. And then anyway, go on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, OK, finally, like they're they're just getting out of their own way. They're limiting the mistakes as much as they can. I mean, even though there were still a ton of mistakes, but like they seem to be moving in the right direction. Finally, the way we've seen them possibly get there, like with the Iowa game and, um, and Purdue. But like they just. Pff, yeah, man. Again, just a ter- uh, awful freaking meltdown and an 18 point yeah. lead. Nuts. I don't, it's hard to know what to say when you blow a game like that. I mean, this is like when Minnesota choked against Northwestern early in the year. Yep. Um, I mean, that game was maybe a little more one-sided statistically before the end of it, but it was the same sort of thing where one team seemed like it was totally in control for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, 
they just quit or something mm-hmm. like and they just malfunctioned on offense defense and special teams yeah which is the only way you can give up a three score lead in a quarter yeah you have to you know you have to you have to melt down everywhere um that's a really devastating loss for sparty john yeah. i don't know you know and then they have michigan this week and like our sh- all right we now we're gonna go into the room of the world of rumor right now okay so I'm not saying this is going to happen. Don't say that, you know, Mike or John and we live for Saturday said this is going to happen. I'm not saying this, but there are rumors that there's going to be some kind of mass exodus of players from Michigan State after the Michigan game. And I, I haven't given those much credence before, but I don't know. I don't know where that team's heads at is at this point. I've heard the same, and I can't say it would surprise me. Um, you know, there's a lot going on there. I, I you know, I, for me, it would definitely be something I would have to strongly consider if I were a player on that team. It just, they're not there, man, mentally. They are just, they're not there, right? at least not checked in long enough to finish a game. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. And it's going to be so rough against Michigan. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is for everybody, but that's your rival. And if you're Sparty, I mean, that's your number one rival. It's not Michigan's number one rival, but if you're Sparty, that's your number one rival. Um, And that's just, that's just really rough. Yeah. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure where that program goes from here, but I will say there is a program that we just said that about last week that won this week. Yeah. In Illinois. So if there was hope for Illinois, maybe there's hope for Sparty. Yeah. Um, as it is, with the win, Rutgers moves to five and two. And with the loss, Michigan State drops to two and four. All right. Next up, we have the number three Ohio State Buckeyes 41. The Purdue Boilermakers seven. Total yards, Ohio State had 486 to produce 257. Kyle McCord had a nice day going, 16 of 28 for 276 yards on just under 10 yards per attempt. He had three TDs, zero interceptions, and a QBR of 88.4. Really solid game for McCord. And we continue to see him get a lot better. Um... Hayden for OSU had a nice day on the ground with 76 yards and 6.9 yards per rush and a TD with their top two RBs out. Ohio state got creative running the ball and wide receiver uh, Xavier Johnson even chipped in five carries for nearly eight yards per rush. So that creativity I thought in the offense helped buoy a shorthanded Ohio state ground attack. Uh, Both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams were out for OSU. Um, by contrast, Hudson card was running for his life out there and he had a rough day. Uh, dude completed just over 40% of his passes, which is abysmal. He also had just 126 yards passing on 32 attempts for just 3.9 yards per attempt. That is terrible. Um, his QBR for that day was just 34.8, which is bad, but it wasn't the worst QBR of the day. Uh, that's coming later, John. So get excited about that. Devin Menachemy quietly had a nice day with 110 yards rushing on 6.1 yards per rush, but it wasn't nearly enough for a Boilermakers offense, which struggled to throw the ball. 
Buckeye defense, John, is incredible. Mm-hmm. They nearly pitched a shutout. I think this is the best Buckeye defense since Jim Tressel was head coach, and that's high praise for me as those Tressel defenses were really nasty. Uh, this Buckeye defense has only given up 58 points all year, which is wild. And, uh, John, what do you think about this one? Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what we were afraid of happening at Purdue happened. Um, you know, that O-line cannot give card any kind of time of day to, to make things happen. Um, it was good to see at least, you know, Maccabi kind of, he looked like he was doing his thing again. Um, he looked good. I am curious though, like where, where is Tracy Jr.? I, I, I just tried to look up and see if he was, if he was, hurt or what i'm not finding anything right now um probably somebody else out there knows more than i do um but it was good to see at least they were able to to establish some kind of run uh run game uh but yeah man it was brutal it was really hard to watch um but what are you going to do against this ohio state team you know like that that defense and the and the offense it was interesting i did notice with ohio state because we've everybody's been talking about um you know, can Ohio State run the ball? Can Ohio State run the ball? And you talked about uh, during the preview about how this would be like some kind of a statement came for Ohio State. And I think they did make a statement. I think they really wanted to show that this is a tough, hard nosed team and we can run. We can do the power run game as good as anybody. Um, and they really established a, a, a solid run game. They brought in Devin Brown. Um, they ran the Wildcat. I mean, which I was not expecting to see that happen, but it was, yeah, man, it was kind of fun. Like in a way, seeing Ohio State just be like, yeah, we're not all just like fireworks down the field and through the air. Like we're gonna, we're gonna play some Smash Mouth football, and we're gonna show you what else we can do. I agree with you, man. I like the Smash Mouth football. I did not like the Devin Brown as the running QB thing because their offense was working so well. I get they were trying to juice the previously stagnant run game, and they did with some of the wide receiver stuff and some of the misdirection stuff. Um, I thought was really creative and well done. And yeah, they got an early TD on you know doing that play, but then the next time he had an inexcusable fumble that was bad, which was recovered by Purdue in the end zone. Yeah, and that you know if that was a you know imagine if that was against Penn State or Michigan. Yeah. And also, you're telling the defense because they're afraid to have him throw. Or if they do have him throw, it'll be, you know what I mean? It'll be like a bait. It'll be, they're probably not going to have him throw down the field, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you see him come in, you're thinking, okay, 95% chance this is a run. And if it's not a run, it's a short pass. And if you're a defense, I think it's one thing to do it against Purdue because Purdue doesn't have the horses to keep up with you, Ohio State. But like, if they trot out Devin Brown on the goal line against Penn State, I'm going to scream at my television <laughs> because I keep Kyle McCord in. He's your starter. He's getting better and better and better and better all the time. Yeah. Like for what we thought Kyle McCord was to start the year to what my Kyle McCord is now has been an evolution. And I just don't think it's worth taking him out ever if you're in a competitive game. Yeah. I can't disagree with you there. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder, I don't know exactly what the strategy was there other than like, Hey, we can run the ball and we are a tough, you know, tough team. Um, just like any other big 10 team, but like it was a little confounding why they did that. Um, it worked for a while, but yeah, that, that fumble was, was, uh, inexcusable. Um, 
and yeah, you're right. It won't it won't fly against any any better team like Michigan. Or I just I think you tr- do the try that against the Michigan or Penn State defense. Yeah. I think you're getting tackled for a two yard loss. Yeah, no, I agree. And so I just I think Kyle McCord forces them to keep him honest because you know he can throw the ball all over the yard. And if you're on the goal line, you know that he can find his receivers and he can make something happen. You know, and I've been noticing, too, like the, the other thing that, you know, Kyle McCord, I think he is definitely getting better. Um, but his wide receivers, too, man, I mean, even as good as they already were, like, I feel like there's just such an easy flow with them now. There's such a great connection. You can tell that everybody just knows where where it's going to go and anticipate where that ball is going to fall. And, and it's just it just looks simple. And it's really so you're right, you know, um, to not allow that to continue to develop and get better because you're going to need that even to, to continue as you move ahead. That catch that Harrison had on Ohio State's first drive, not the touchdown catch, which was also nice, but yeah. the earlier big catch was a ridiculous play. Yeah. And that was a really good start establishing him. Um, I guess we should criticize the Buckeyes. They missed an extra point. So that was weird. That's always weird. I it's always I don't care what team it is. I'm always like totally confused when that happens. How like how does that happen? But it does. Yeah, that's it's mystifying. It's I still have. Oh, don't don't make me go down the path of talking about missed extra points, or I'll just get (laughs) I'll get upset. But um, I thought the Buckeyes had a really nice start to this game. John, they scored touchdowns in three of their first four possessions for a twenty-zero halftime lead. Then they scored two TDs early in the second half to put the game way out of reach for Purdue early. Um, Purdue had that nice opening drive, but the missed field goal was brutal. I thought that really deflated Purdue to miss that yeah. field goal. And, you know, after they had such a nice drive against Ohio State. And then later, Purdue had two more missed field goals, including one that bonked off the off the post. Um, that's just a really rough day for the kicker. And I, I felt for the guy by the last one. I was like, Oh God, he missed another one, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. He's going to have nightmares. The poor guy. Oh. I like, it's going to be, yeah. I hope He's his teammates tell him to shake that off. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's a rough, rough day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the buck ID, man. I just, I think I'm still adjusting to OSU having an elite D again. Mm-hmm. And it really feels like like a defense from the Jim Trestle era. Just I remember those Jim Trestle defenses and just being terrified, not thinking you're going to have trouble getting 50 yards for the game kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and Ohio State's more dynamic offensively now than any of those Jim Trestle teams really were. Well, yeah. other than, you know, the 2006 team. But, uh it's wild to watch the Buckeyes flying around, making plays. And it's not like it's not like when they have the one guy, right? It's not like when they had Chase Brown or one of the Bosa brothers or whatever. It's like they have guys at every position making plays to the yeah. point where I think we're not because there's not like just one star or one or two big stars. I think we're not talking about it as maybe as much as we should. But this Buckeye defense has really, I mean, 58 points all year, John. Yeah. They've given up 58 points all season. That's crazy. Well, and they're not getting the credit they deserve. They, people are not talking about them as much as they should. And they're being, they're quietly incredibly successful. 
Yeah. Like next week, uh, next week they may we'll see, but um, they may get a little start getting more of that attention. Yeah, it's gonna be. I this is not the preview episode, but man, Ohio State, Penn State, been waiting for that one all year. It's gonna be. That's good. gonna be. That's gonna be a great game. And oh, did they? Which did they say what time it is? Is it at the same time? I I gotta on. look that up. All right. We'll move on. Anyway, with the win, Ohio State moves to 6-0 and and continues to be ranked number three in the country. With the loss, Purdue drops to 2-5. and Moving on, we've got uh, Michigan 52, Indiana 7. The Hoosiers showed a lot of fight for the first half, but when Michigan got rolling late in the first half, you could feel Indiana realize they had no chance, and I'd say the Hoosiers eventually did what every other team does, and they gave up in the second half against yeah. Michigan. Uh, total yards, Michigan had 407 to Indiana's 232. Uh, J.J. McCarthy was an impressive 14 for 17 for 222 yards on an eye-popping 13.1 yards per attempt. John. That's bananas. 13.1 yards per attempt. Are you kidding me? And also, he had three TDs and again, zero interceptions for an impressive QBR of 84.4. I mean, I, I'll i go on with my little preview shtick, but like, I just have to take a moment to be like, J.J. McCarthy, man. Like, what a player. What a player. And this guy's just, he's doing, he's, he's getting better, it seems like, every week. Um, Blake Corum had 52 yards rushing and somebody named Benjamin Hall chipped in 58 yards on nine attempts. So that's an awesome game for him. Uh, the running game was fine today, but it's the passing game where Michigan found most of its explosive plays. Colston Loveland had a phenomenal game with an incredible 55 yard catch and run TD that had me in awe of his athleticism at the tight end position, John. In total, he had 80 yards receiving on three catches. Tyler Morris had four grabs for 54 yards and no one else had more than a catch. <clears throat> so McCarthy and later Jack Tuttle spread the ball around pretty effectively. Uh, Roman Wilson did have a TD catch, but the starters really didn't play after the third quarter once again too much. So if you want to criticize Michigan, you can say they got off to a slow start and that JJ McCarthy fumbled twice and was lucky if he didn't lose either one of those fumbles. So yeah, McCarthy needs to make sure to secure the ball in these tougher games, but it was also, I think it was kind of wet in this game too, wasn't it? I feel like it, it was, was wet in most yeah. of the games. Yeah, I think across the Big Ten, it pretty much was raining at some point. So it kind of is what it is. You know, sometimes in the, you know, you don't want to turn the ball or you don't want to put the ball on the turf, but occasionally it happens. Uh, by contrast for Indiana, Taven Jackson and Brendan Soresby had some success early, but they really struggled after halftime. Jackson was 7 of 13 and Soresby was just 6 of 15. Tom Allen sounded frustrated about it after the game. Allen said neither one of them protected the ball very well. We were trying to see who would step up and take it, and hopefully one of them would have done that. That was the goal for today. Hmm. And so, I mean, the unsaid part there is that neither one of those guys stepped up and took it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's rough for the Hoosiers. Um, and the lone Hoosier TD came on a, a really great play call, but it was a long double pass uh, where wide receiver and former quarterback Donovan McCulley threw, threw a beautiful pass, but... Indiana needs one of its actual QBs to throw the ball better than they have and not have to rely on a wide receiver to do it for them. 
Uh, Hoosier struggled to run the ball with just 92 yards rushing on 2.8 yards per rush. That's not going to get it done if you're trying to win games. To be fair, no one's runner passed well on this Michigan D this season. And at least Indiana fought hard early, and, and they did better than most of Michigan opponents who just immediately lay over and die. IU waited until close to halftime to get blown out. So I mean this sincerely. This is not sarcasm. Like kudos to the Hoosiers for showing up and at least fighting for a while better than anyone else has. And you know what it got them? A 52 to 7 loss. This Michigan team, John, is absolutely terrifying. I don't even know what to say at this point. Yeah, I, you know, while we were talking, while you were just talking here, and I'm thinking because like my main, one of the the biggest things that I want to say, you know, and comment on when it comes to Michigan and JJ McCarthy in particular, which is just incredible. Um, and I wonder when you when early in these games, like you've seen him kind of lose focus, and that's why like these weird little mistakes happen with him. And you're like, what's going on? And then like the, through the first quarter, like he just kind of seems like he's not there. Or he's just kind of cruising through it. And then he gets serious and then, you know, and then it's just, you know, game over. And then over it is there. over. Yeah, it's then it's over. over. But I, I'm i a little concerned, you know, because here's the thing. When I watch him play or I've been watching him play this year, this season, he's playing like backyard fun football. Like I, I, I was I was like watching and seeing like, OK, he's he was running around a lot. And I was like, OK, like is this, is there is the offensive line not not protecting him well enough? Is it breaking down? No, he just like wants to just run or he just wants to like play around and have fun and do whatever the hell he wants to do because he yeah. can against these teams. But what I'm concerned about is if that mentality, which like, you know, that's great. Have that confidence and have fun out there and do this. And that may still serve you throughout the rest of the season. But when you finally start playing some of these better teams, like the Penn, Penn State, Ohio State, with these defenses that can potentially at least cause you some serious issues from time to time. And if you're still out there being, you know, maybe a little bit lackadaisical about your, like how serious you are about about winning this game, which maybe he will be, um, I just I'm concerned, you know, a little bit, you know, and I'm just try, I'm just trying to find something to to worry. Like I'm I'm splitting hairs. I'm I'm grasping at straws right now. This is like just a theory. I mean, this it's our a- job to figure out something Michigan can do better. It's just really yeah. hard. <laughs> that's so, yeah, I'm, that's I'm with you. That's what I'm I'm like. I'm like, OK, maybe like because this is this is we've seen him do this like almost in every game to some extent where yeah. early on he just like he's just not all there. And, and, you know, he's just so good, though. It doesn't matter. But, yeah. I think the coaching also has, helps him get out of that. Okay? Yeah. So my example for this game, on exactly the theme you said, is that when things weren't going well early, when they were in the red zone, J.J. McCarthy got openly pissed at his wide receiver, and he flamboyantly signaled that he ran the wrong route. He, like... He like did a big gesture with his body and he like pointed his arm and like shook his head and was very clearly saying, hey, man, you effed up. You did not me, you. And I was thinking, oh, man, he's rattled, right? Mm -hmm. He's rattled like like mate, like he's getting frustrated with his teammates. And then two plays later, it's fourth down and you're thinking they're going to kick a field goal. It's going to still be a close game because Indiana scored early uh, on that double pass. Brilliant play call. Brilliant play call. That that double the yeah. wide receiver pass, the double pass by Tom Allen. Like that was that's how you pull out the stops against Michigan. That's what you should do. Absolutely. When you're the team 
that's not that's that's a severe underdog. You should pull every play that you've got your trick plays out of your arsenal and see what you can make happen. Um, but uh, yeah, two plays later, instead of kicking the field goal, Harbaugh decides to go for it on fourth down. And I thought that changed the whole game. It was this great aggressive play call by Jim Harbaugh and he throws the touchdown pass. And all of a sudden JJ McCarthy is not sad anymore. JJ McCarthy's like, yeah, I'm the man. We did it. Right. And it's because Harbaugh went for it and said, hey, man, I got confidence in you. Fourth down, fourth and four. And it wasn't like fourth and one. I think it was like fourth and four, something like that. Yeah. Um, and he was like, no, man, I got you. Let's go for it. I know you're going to make the play. And I think it's Harbaugh shows. And it's like how after games, Harbaugh will like say he doesn't want to talk to the press and like put one of his players in to talk for him. Um. I think guys respond to that. Yeah. I think they like it. I think they say, Hey, my coach believes in me. He's got my back. He wants to put me front and center. He wants, he wants, he says, if you make plays like you're going to be the one talking on the, you know, talking on TV to the reporter. I mean, I think, I think guys like that. I think they rally around it. Yeah. And so Harbaugh is just doing such a great, like, I know it's, I can see the temptation to give someone like a Greg Shianu coach of the year but when it comes coach of the year if michigan runs the table if and i know that you know they've still got a couple big games left for sure um where where that'll be in question i really think if he's not coach of the year man i think we're doing it wrong no i agree i agree he's really got something special going there i know it took him a few years to get things together but you know and, and the michigan faithful were all nervous about it calling for his head every season but and he was going like 10 and 3 by the way yeah they were yeah. called they're like oh my god we went 10 and 3 and we lost to ohio state ah Boo. You know? yeah 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 i know it's uh <laughs> sorry when the college football privilege, we should talk about, we'll have a whole s- segment sometime about hierarchies of college football privilege in like direct relation to how well your team does on a regular basis, because it, it gets for wildly different fan perspectives based Absolutely. on what your team does. And uh, we'll have a whole talk about that sometime, but this is a review show, so we won't do it now. <laughs> um, I want to also say uh for Michigan, Michigan's allowing just 6.7 uh, points per game and became the first FBS team to give up 10 or fewer points in its first seven games since Clemson in 1981. That's wow. ridiculous. Holy. Nobody can move the ball or score on this crazy Michigan defense. It's been 42 years since any since a team, seven straight games, held FBS teams under 10 points or 10 points or, or fewer. Um, that's, it's wild. Yeah. What they're doing. Um, I should, I should, I should call out at least one Michigan defensive player. They are kind of a a team, kind of like Ohio state. They're kind of like a team and not just a collection of stars. Uh, Jalen Harrell for Michigan had two sacks and as a team, Michigan had four sacks and eight tackles for loss after halftime, Indiana had zero success offensively. So, yeah, man, I get I'm just every week something else about Michigan sticks out to me like this week. It was Colston Loveland. And I was like, Colston Loveland, man, running in the open field. And then when he catches it and he turns and he lowers his shoulder and lowers the boom, mm-hmm. he lowers the boom. Yeah. You get crushed. You're going to be on your back 
staring up at the sky, wondering what happened. Like <laughs> that's what that's the kind of thing he does. And it's it's every man every week. It's a new Michigan player where I'm like, you know, last week it was Mason Graham. You know, before that, it was Roman Wilson. Every week, there's a new Michigan player where I'm like, oh, man, we got to talk about this that player in the podcast review. We got to talk about him. Yep. Um. So it's it's wild, dude. It is wild. I yeah. On the flip side. Somebody's just got to play well enough to be the starting quarterback in Indiana. Well, and not only that, like. Do you even think Tom Allen is going to stick around for the rest of the season? Do you think he'll he'll last? I mean, he's got a pre- so I know a lot of people think Tom Allen's getting fired, but I think his buyout is still like I I have to look it up, but the I thought I heard that his buyout was pretty significant. So I got to research that. Okay. Cuz I wonder if it's a thing where the buyout is enough that they would think about giving him another year if that gave them the chance to, you know, pay a much smaller buyout. It wouldn't surprise me if he was gone, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he, if he at least finished out the season. He still had 2020. That was his team too, you know, and Indiana's a tough job. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying that what, what Indiana should do, but I just think when you constantly change your coach, it doesn't get you anywhere. And it took until this year um, for him to, to get an O-line coach like Bob Bostad. And it would seem like a shame to get rid of Bob Bostad as your O-line coach that quickly when you have him and not give him two or three years to build a legit offensive line because that man builds legit offensive lines. He knows how to find O-linemen who are under the radar um, recruits and turn them into maulers. You know, Mm -hmm. he has a reputation for that. He's done it his whole career, most notably at Wisconsin. So I don't know. I know you can't keep a head coach because of the O-line coach, but like I do think there's an argument to be made that Tom Allen would get another year anyway. Um, But if he keeps, if he doesn't win any of these games, like he's got to win some, he's got to get to like, you can't have be two and 10 again. Right. Yeah. Like he's got to win four or five games and find a way to make that convincing. And so they got to, Indiana's got to find a way. And if they're going to do that, somebody's somebody's got to play better. Yep. All right. With the win, the number two Michigan Wolverines uh, rise up all the way to seven and zero. with the loss. Indiana drops to two and four. Next up, we have the least intriguing, silliest game of the day, which was Penn State 63 UMass zero. So John, it was between our two picks. I think, I think I had Penn state with 70 points, which I thought was being a little generous, but Hey, it t- turned out I wasn't that far off no. you ha- and you had 52. So you were right in the ballpark too. Um, total yards, Penn state at 408 to UMass's 109 yards. John UMass averaged just two point yards, y- 2.0 yards per attempt on passes and 1.6 yards per rush running the ball that is as poorly as you can play offense this Penn State defense didn't let UMass do a single thing the entire day uh, for Penn State Drew Aller had a workmanlike performance going 16 of 23 for 162 yards on seven yards per attempt three TDs and zero picks it wasn't his best day but it didn't have to be his best day 
Um, he just had to guide the offense and not make mistakes. And he guided the offense and didn't make mistakes. The real star of the day was the Penn State run game. As we anticipated, Penn State stuck to the ground game to the tune of 246 yards rushing on a gaudy 6.6 yards per rush. Four Nittany Lions ran for TDs and Aller, Allen, Pribula, and Trey Potts, who scored on his only carry. Uh, Theo Johnson led PSU with 66 receiving yards, while Keandre Lambert-Smith had six catches for just 30 yards. For Penn State, Daquan Hardy had not one, but two punt returns for TDs which tells you about what the difference in athleticism was between the two squads. Uh, UMass's two QBs ended up going nine for 23 for just 45 yards. That's rough. And we already said they couldn't run the ball. So that is literally all I have to say about that game, John. Uh, We'll find out a lot more about Penn State next week against the Buckeyes. And I bet you that Penn State spent this entire bye week game planning for the Buckeyes. So I would say that from a game planning perspective, Penn State has had an advantage because Ohio State had to play an actual Big Ten team this week instead of a glorified scrimmage like Penn State had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Penn State did exactly what they should have against this massively inferior opponent. Um, You know, they established the run. The Catron Allen looked fantastic. Singleton looked good. Um, You know, they really were just working that power run game. And then Aller, you know, in the second half was able to air it out a little bit more. And the defense did what, you know, what they should against this UMass offense. I I mean, there's not much else to say. Uh, Penn State, you took care of business against an inferior opponent. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next week. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot wait to see what happens in that game with the win. Penn State moves to 6 and 0 with the loss UMass moves to 1 and 7 which by the way um you did ask earlier about when that game is next week yep it's 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 I'm assuming it's going to be the big noon game uh it's at 12 o'clock so oh good yeah I don't that's s- awesome yeah I can't find what network it's on but I, uh, I I'm sure it's, it's the big noon game. yeah I'm sure it is so I'm sure it's the big noon game yeah that's awesome 11 a.m in God's time central time as I like to call it <laughs> um, <I missed> it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah that's gonna be a wild game and I cannot I'm so glad that's the big noon game I'm so excited to watch that that will be an awesome time and that it's not at the same time as the Minnesota game. Thank God. That is great. All right. I'm pumped up already. Cool. Let's move on. We had Illinois 27, Maryland 24. Illinois had 337 yards. Well, Maryland had 380. So Maryland outgained Illinois uh, by 40 plus yards, but lost. Both teams threw the ball fairly well, and neither team ran it well. They had very similar stat lines in both the run and pass games. Uh, Luke Altmeyer for Illinois was 16 of 28 for 206 yards and 7.4 yards per attempt, two TDs and a pick. So he did throw the pick, uh, but this time it was in a winning effort, and he played pretty well otherwise, I thought. Leah Tagovailoa was 27 for 39 for 266 yards on 6.8 yards per attempt two TDs and zero picks. So Leah played pretty well in this game, all things considered. Um, Illinois finally got a running game going a little bit as Caden Fegan had 84 yards on 4.4 yards per rush and a TD. It's not elite, but it's a lot better than they have been rushing the ball, and it qualifies as major progress for the Illini, in my opinion. 
Uh, Pat Bryant, Casey Washington, Isaiah Williams combined for 164 yards receiving. So they were all important in this win. Williams and Bryant each caught a TD pass. For Maryland, Roman Hemby had a nice day with 70 yards on 5.8 yards per rush. I was surprised he didn't get more touches with as efficiently as he was running the ball. Um, but I think that's a testament to what the Illini defense was doing and putting them in Illinois and longer down in distances, you know, on second, third down. Um, Prather, Hemby, and Deshaun Jones all had nice days receiving for the Terps. Prather scored a TD. Maryland lost a fumble in this game, which was one turnover too many on the day. It turned out to be uh, Illinois kicker. Caleb Griffin kicked a 43 yard field goal as time expired to give Illinois its first big 10 victory and upset over previously five and one Maryland. So Maryland really had a tough t- time sustaining drives today against a solid Illini defensive front. And John, what are your thoughts about this game? Well, you know, it was, it was a little, it was crazy, man. I mean, it was back and forth the whole game. I, I, but what it comes down for me, and we talked about this in the preview as well, is it looks like Brett made the necessary adjustments. You know, he, he did, you know, not that the run game was prolific, but it looked better than it has. It looked it like, looked like off- a functional big 10 run game. Yes. Not yes. spectacular, but at least on the side of average. Absolutely. And it looks like, and honestly, I mean, Caden Fagan is, is a beast, dude. I mean, I think, what is he like 250, 255, 63, something like that. And he's a monster. And, yeah. He's a monster. And Laffrey looked good too. I mean, they were carrying defenders down the field. It looked, it was good. It was good to see that. And also, you know, not that it was spectacular, but the offensive line in the pass pro looked better too. Like they were giving Altmaier some time to actually throw the ball and, and make some good decisions. So you know, I know that Altmaier has, you know, one of the main things that I've noticed with him is he just holds on to that ball way too long sometimes and he takes unnecessary sacks and things like that. But, you know, he's a sophomore. I think he's still going to develop and get better. Um, but right now, um, I just I was more impressed with the fact that it looked like Illinois just rose to the occasion in Maryland. <sighs> Unfortunately, you know, yeah. this, this kind of happens every year. You know, they. You get your hopes up. Maryland looks outstanding. And I'm not saying they're a bad. This is not meaning they are a bad team. They can still win, you know, games here for, for throughout the rest of the season. Um, but it's like there's always this buildup and you're like, oh, man, like this team is going to be just dominant throughout. And yeah. then there's just that one or two games or halfway through the season. Then all of a sudden things just kind of fall apart. It's and usually you, and things just fall apart. Let's be let's be honest. Usually at some part point, things fall apart. Yeah, or or it becomes a thing where Maryland can beat bottom half teams, but not hot top half teams, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, so I don't know, man. I mean, it, it's it's now I would be nervous, you know, because that has been traditionally the thing that happens to these Mike Loxley Maryland teams. Um, I, I did, the running game didn't look as good as I was thinking it, it should have been. No. Their, their defense even looked like they took a step back. I was surprised. I was, I was. Yeah, because Illinois had a lot of problems on offense. Yeah. And Illinois was able to move the ball pretty consistently throughout this game. Yeah. So, man, again, Brett Bielema, you know, I know it was, it took a while to get there, but when he says he's going to do something and he's going to make the necessary adjustments, that man makes it happen. You know, it may not always be pretty and it may not, you know, like, get you to win the division or anything like that. But he knows 
when enough is enough and he makes the changes and he doesn't care how it gets done, he gets it done. And I, and that's impressive right there. So I, I, I saw some significant improvement with how bad this Illinois team looked throughout the season so far. Um, I think that's positive for them. Uh, There's not, I'm not saying they'll, they'll have like a winning record, but I think there's some things at least to feel good about. And so it's a positive for them. And as far as Maryland right now, I'd be a little nervous. Um, Not, saying it's season's over, but it's definitely would give me some pause. All right. You ready for my rant? Yes. Okay. Here comes my rant. Illinois led 24 to 14 before Maryland's Antoine Littlejohn ran for a four yard TD on the last play of the third quarter. That was the start of a late rally for the Terrapins. However, on Maryland's final possession, they only managed a field goal after running the ball on third and six. This bothers me, John. You have Leah Tugavailoa, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire conference. And he's not just one of the best quarterbacks in the entire conference, but he's an extremely mobile quarterback who is a threat with his legs and his arm and is a threat to extend plays to pass the ball or to so he can pass the ball downfield. And he's a threat to run the ball. Um, he is a dangerous player. You need that first down. You a field goal only ties the game, right? So you need that f- first down so that you can get a touchdown. Um, give him a play, put the ball in the hands of your best player. Let him either throw it or run for it. Give him a play where you move the pocket and he has the option to run or throw. Running the ball on third and six is a terrible move in a key spot when you have an elite quarterback. It's a terrible coaching move by Loxley, and he deserved to be raked over the coals for it. They yeah. needed a TD. They got a field goal. If they'd scored a TV, Illinois would have needed a touchdown to win, not just a field goal. Um, and so he just made coaching mistake after coaching mistake. Um, here's another one. On fourth and one from the Maryland two-yard line, Illinois lined up to kick a field goal like idiots. Right? They're on the two-yard line. It's fourth and goal because you either go for it because you get a touchdown or else the other team has to go 98 yards and you have great field position and you can get a touchdown that way. Right? So you go for it every time. Bielema comes out to kick it. Loxley calls timeout. He calls a timeout. Yeah. So instead of letting them kick the field goal and being happy that they didn't go for it, Loxley calls timeout, which gives Bielema time to think about it Bielema comes out, goes for it, scores a touchdown. Yep. And then on top of all of that stuff, Maryland called an onside kick to open the third quarter, and it didn't work, which gave them a short field in a game where his team was playing pretty well. And the the Illini turned that short field into another touchdown. So Mike Loxley coached Maryland out of this win, John. This wasn't a thing where where Illinois should – like credit to Illinois. They played well. Good for them for winning this game, but they should not have won this game. They won this game because Mike Loxley made a series of terrible coaching decisions that are inexcusable from a guy who makes the kind of money that a Big Ten coach head coach makes. All right. That's my Mike Loxley rant. Go ahead. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, I mean, I don't have much to say other than it was very uh, Scott Frostian of him to do what he did. (laughs) What is he doing? Your team's playing well. You look like you have the better team. Like 
onside kicks are for when you need a, a jolt of something and the game's getting away from you, or when you think the other team's better than you and you need something like an onside kick is not for, oh, well, they're always like, oh, it looked like it was open. It looked like it was open. You gave them a short field and they scored a touchdown. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> like, Illinois doesn't have some dynamic offense. It's no. one thing if you're playing a team with a great offense, right? Like, if you're playing Washington and Michael Penix, no. then maybe you kick an onside kick because you're thinking 75 yards or 50 yards, this guy's scoring touchdowns. Yeah. Doesn't matter, right? So then maybe you kick onside, you kick an onside kick against a team like that. If you're playing against Michigan, maybe you kick an onside kick because you're thinking, oh man, we're overmatched and they have it. It looks like it's open. We got to go for it. But if you've got the better team and you have the better offensive weapons, you cannot be do making decisions like that. And I just and the third and sixth thing, man, not not putting the ball in Leah's hands. What are you saying to quarterback recruits? You don't think the quarterbacks out there are watching you and thinking – you don't think that the next crop of great quarterbacks is watching you and thinking, hey, does this guy trust his guy? Does he trust his man guy when, when the game's on the line? Leah's a senior. He didn't trust a senior to throw the ball. I, I know this rant's gone on for a while, and I said I was done, and then I started again, but I just – Maryland should be six and one. They should be a ranked team. They should have won this game. They gave Mike Loxley gave this game away. I agree. <sighs> okay. All right. I'm gonna I got I got worked up there, man. <laughs> um with the loss, Illinois drops to three and four. With the win, Maryland or sorry, with the win, Illinois uh goes up to three and four. With the loss, Maryland drops to five and two. On to our last game. We had Iowa Hawkeyes 15, the Wisconsin Badgers six. Total yards, Iowa 237 to Wisconsin's 332, John. So Iowa got outgained by nearly 100 yards and still managed to win this game. I don't know how they keep doing this. It's just wild. It's wild the way they do it. Um, for Iowa QB, Deacon Hill had just 37 passing yards, yards passing on 6 of 14 for 2.6 yards per attempt. His QBR was 6.2. These are terrible stats, John. Mm -hmm. So why didn't it matter that the passing offense was so bad? I'll tell you why. It's because the run game, defense, and special teams all worked well. LaShawn Williams had 174 yards rushing on 7.0 yards per rush, including a back-breaking first-half 82-yard TD run, which gave Iowa the lead in this game. Um, Caleb Johnson had a terrible day running the ball for Iowa with 35 yards and 17 attempts. So the running game was up and down, but for LaShawn Williams, it was great. And that was more than enough for them in this one, given the defense and special teams play. For Wisconsin, Tanner Mordecai and later QB Braden Locke, who came on after Mordecai hurt his throwing hand, combined to go 27 for 50 for 228 yards on just 4.6 yards per attempt. So the passing game was also a struggle against that tough Iowa defense. Uh, Wisconsin got a pretty nice game from Braylon Allen with 87 yards on 18 carries, but nobody else pitched in much, and Allen didn't get as many touches as they wanted to give him due to Iowa consistently putting Wisconsin behind the chains. So I'm pretty sure, man, that... Wisconsin wanted to give Braylon Allen 25 or 30 carries and they only managed to get him 18 
which is a testament to Iowa's defense that they were in a position where they couldn't run the ball more than that because we know Wisconsin wants to run the ball. And Iowa put them in a position where they they couldn't run it as much as they wanted to, and that's really great defense. Uh, Bryson Green had a really nice day catching the ball for Wisconsin with five catches for 86 yards, including an incredible 42-yard catch in the first half to keep a Wisconsin drive alive. That was one of the best catches of the whole day. That was like that was uh, some impressive stuff. Um, Wisconsin backup QB Braden Locke threw a pick and also fumbled twice, one of which was recovered by Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin could not overcome those two turnovers. Punter Tory Taylor for was the MVP for the Hawkeyes, John. That's right. The punter was the MVP. No question about it. 506 yards punting on 10 attempts for an insane 50.6 yards per punt. He also downed six of those punts inside punts inside the Badger 20. A lot of a couple a lot closer than that. Tory Taylor and the Iowa defense kept Iowa ahead in this game. And Iowa depends on playing with a lead. Iowa cannot play from behind. They're not built that way. They like playing with a lead. Um, this game was defined by injuries. Wisconsin starting QB Tanner Mordecai uh, was lost uh, with a hand injury. And I will see if there are any updates about that. I I'm not, haven't seen any yet, um, but we definitely wish the best for him. And Iowa's tight end Eric All was injured, and it, it looked bad. The Eric All thing looked really bad. Yeah. Um, so now Iowa's down Eric all and Luke Lachey for the year. And those are Iowa's top two receiving options. Um, Iowa averages John 249 yards per game on offense, which is get this the lowest average offense often average total yards of offense in the entire 133 team FBS. Wow. And yet they still keep winning and are six and one. Jesus. Um, Sebastian Castro for Iowa had two tackles for loss and an interception. And what was a stellar performance for him? It seemed like anytime they needed a big play, he was around to make it. Uh, I thought the biggest play of the game was Williams 82 yard first half touchdown run with Iowa facing third and two early in the second quarter. He burst through an enormous hole, broken arm tackle and raced down the sidelines. After that TD, Iowa gained just three net yards on its next six possessions, all three and outs. So Iowa followed up a touchdown with six consecutive three and outs, but it didn't matter because the Iowa D was so good that all they needed was seven points to win this one. The extra nine were just a cushion, I guess. Um, <laughs> Wisconsin cut that lead to seven, six on two uh, field goals, but Iowa controlled the fourth quarter. They got two field goals in the quarter, plus the aforementioned safety when YA black sacked lock and forced a fumble that Wisconsin recovered in the end zone. And Iowa sealed the victory, forcing two turnovers on Wisconsin's last two series. Wisconsin averaged 204 yards rushing entering the game, but Iowa held them to just 96 yards on 28 attempts. So, John, this was a crazy game to watch. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even know like how or where to even start with how Iowa is doing this. There's some kind of voodoo magic going on here in Iowa City and Kirk Ferentz is serious dark magic. I it, it really is, man. And I and it's not like this is like a new thing. This has been happening for so long now and it's so frustrating yeah. for opposing fan bases. Um, you know, and I know like like the whole, you know, 
I mean, obviously, if I were an Iowa fan, I'd be embracing the whole thing, too. Um, but it's like I, I don't understand how this is sustainable um, with the offense being so bad. I get the fact that the defense is fantastic and the special teams is just incredible. I mean, Tory, Tory Taylor is just on an, on another level, man. I mean, he is so people don't understand how dangerous that man really is. If and, he doesn't win the Ray guy. Oh, like if he doesn't win. Yeah. Then I don't even know what to say. Yeah, no. And so, you know, Iowa continues to do what Iowa does. Uh, you know, I know Penn State is the only team that has been able to, you know, crack the code, but Penn State just has the horses. Um, Mich- or Wisconsin clearly just doesn't at this time. And I know that, you know, there was injuries. And clearly when Mordecai went out that there was, you know, the wind really went out of their sails. Plus, that's um, rough. That's rough to lose yeah. your starting quarterback halfway through a rivalry game. Oh, yeah. And and also, I think, you know, uh, uh, what I've been told is that, you know, now again for another season, um, Allen is now playing dinged up. So, and I don't oh, know. Oh, is how he? Yeah, I don't know exactly what the injury is, but you know whether it's his shoulder again. Um, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure. I know that's been a thing for him for the last couple of years, but again, why this is, I knew when Malusi went out, you know, a week, a couple of weeks ago, that that would be this could be a big issue for them because, you know, I know that Acre looked pretty good at times, but if you don't have that other other running back to at least take some pressure off of Allen. It, this is what happens, you know, and this is yeah. he, we've seen this with him and in injuries um, for years now. So that stinks. Um, defensively, Wisconsin was like fine overall. I mean, they even, were great. They like, did a great job defensively. Well, I think they other did. But that I did, long run, other than that long run. But that, also that's, like, that's a bad, but, it's a bad run to give up when you get up an 80 yard run. That's rough. It is. But like, I'm also thinking like, but you're also facing off against the worst offense in the country. So like 237 yards, how much better you want them to do? Well, <laughs> fair, fair. I just, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sold still, but I guess, but again, I, I just still want to see them play against somebody that hasn't. Oh, has I'm not, offense. I'm not saying that Wisconsin has a great defense. They have been an average defense this year, but an yeah, average and that's what defense, I'm saying. Yeah. But an average defense was enough to shut Iowa down. I agree. Well, yeah, that often, especially that offense. Yeah, no. And I'm not saying they're bad. Not at all. I think they're, they're definitely average. Um, but I'm, I just want to see them play somebody with, I want to see them play an offense that, that really, um, can put somebody out there. Um, but yeah, man, overall though, it's just, it, this was hard to watch though, because of those injuries, dude. Like I, yeah, I've been, it's I've really, heard, dude, it's that, really sad. It's really a shame. I've heard Eric all, you know, is out for the season. I don't know uh, official as of right now, but like it wouldn't, it, lo- it looked like he's out for the season. It looked brutal, dude. It looked so that's rough. I, we're going to have to see. I mean, that was the only target that I, I, that we've seen, um, you know, Deacon Hill throw to successfully. And yeah. so I have no idea what's going to happen next, next week. I mean, 37 yards passing. It's insane. Dude. That's to do that in a win is, and it's not like a win where they, you were dominant with like, you were dominant to the point where you just ran them off the field. Right. That'd be yeah. one thing. If you just quit passing because you were running, so because you were running, like it was, this was a competitive game. It was a back and forth game. Yeah. It was seven six deep into the third quarter. Yeah, you know, so it's not like Iowa was way ahead in this game at all. Like Wisconsin had their chances to win this game. Yeah, they did, and they could have. Um, I just, 
it just comes back down to that Iowa defense, man. Like you never and Tory Taylor and Tory Taylor. I mean, think of it. The, the, the safety that's all Tory Taylor. Yep. Putting yep. them that far back. And then you fumble the ball and well, you're in the end zone. Yep. Like that's because of Tory Taylor. You shouldn't, that should have been a, the kind of thing where Wisconsin recovers the ball and then you punt because you had a loss, but like, it's not that big a deal, you know, yeah. but you're in the end zone. So it's a safety like that's punting. Well, and this is winning it in Iowa city. It really is. Um, it is. <laughs> and like, but this defense, man, this Iowa defense just looks scarier every week. And yeah, like Castro good. now, like he, he freaking he terrifies me. Dude. He's everywhere. Castro he's, is, he's making uh, plays in the run game. He's breaking up passes. He had an interception. I mean, this guy, this guy is all over the place and he lays the wood, man. When he hits you, you can hear it. Oh yeah, what he did to Allen, who and when he caused that fumble, dude, I could feel that. I could yeah. feel that through the screen, man. That yeah. was brutal. That was secondhand brutal. Oh, so yeah, man. You know, but I guess like you know, I we talked about how um you know Iowa was going to have to contain Mordecai from using his legs, and they did. They took that away when he they was did. still when he was still out there. I mean, they true. They really limited him in what he was able to do. So and Wisconsin wanted to run the ball with Mordecai, and they couldn't. Yep. Yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know what either of these teams. Um, I really don't know what Wisconsin is going to look like here for the rest of the season. I know that. I mean, other than they're going to try to run um, Braylon Allen as long as he's healthy um, or they're going to ride him. They're going to have to. But him in the backup. Yep, it's going to be tough. And uh, in Iowa, I, I mean, their offense already looked putrid, and now I, I don't know. Without Eric Hall or Luke Lachey or Cade McNamara, man, this offense is in rough. But at the same time, they're six and one and the favorite, and they have a favorable remaining schedule. Yeah. So they could easily win the division. That's something something that could happen. Uh, Right now, right now it runs through Iowa City. Yeah. Which is which is what we said before the season, I believe. Yes. I I believe we called that. Yeah. I picked Iowa. As hyped as Wisconsin was to win, you and I both picked Iowa to win the division. Yep. Looks like it might happen. So we'll see. Yeah. But we got a lot of football yet left. And we got a big rivalry game for Iowa this week. So yep. we're going to learn a lot. I'll tell you what. If Kirk Ferentz can go out and, and win the pig with the, this cast of offensive weapons, then he deserves it. True. True. Awesome. All right. Well. With the win, Iowa moves to six and one. With the loss, Wisconsin drops to four and two. And that is our last game for the day. John, do you want to make any sort of announcement? Yes, as always. If you want to find us, um, want to listen to We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and Podcast Addict. And you can find us on Twitter at we live for B1G Sat. That's at we live for B1G Sat. You can also email us for any questions, comments, anything like that. If there's something you want us to cover um, or maybe talk a little bit more about, whether it's a player, a certain team, division, conference, anything, you name it. Um, we you can also email us at we live for Saturday B1G at gmail.com. That's we live for Saturday B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. 
Well, it looks like it's time for us to get out of here, and you know what that means, John. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. All right, people. Thanks for listening, as always. Have an awesome day, and we will be back on Wednesday to review re- preview Week 8, which has a lot of awesome games. This is, John, one of the weeks I've been most excited about all season, so I'm really pumped about Week 8 of football in the Big Ten. Take care, guys. Take it easy.